Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Well, we're continuing about on our series on listening to God. And this morning I want to talk for a few minutes about don't lead yourself. Don't lead yourself. Don't be self-led. Be selfless, but not self-led. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 14 says, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, neither is it even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many of you remember that song? If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Well, it was a good song. Simple, but good. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. We are obliged we have a duty, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all, because all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, you go down to verse 16, it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When we are born again, we are all children, all of us who are born again. When I was born again, I became a child of God. But right there where it says sons, and that includes you too, ladies, uh, that is the word huios or huioi in the, in the plural, meaning the mature, grown up, perfected or, or, or you know, I hate to use the word perfected because that has an understanding in English that the Greek didn't. We're the mature. Let's just put it that spiritually all grown up. Everybody say I'm spiritually growing up. Amen. And the flesh, whenever we, whenever God tries to lead us, has the Lord ever given you a witness and you've known in your heart of hearts that you just felt to draw to do something and you knew that the Holy Spirit was in it, but your flesh was like, uh, have you ever seen uh, somebody walking a dog on a leash and the dog didn't want to go? You know, and the dog's just like this and everything and the person's just dragging like this. And, and, and if it's a big dog, it's, it, it could be a struggle. And that's the way sometimes our flesh is. We have to just drag it. What? Am I, is this the right crowd? I mean, you know, okay. I've, I didn't, I, you know, just want to make sure that I wasn't in, we're perfect assembly this morning. In fact, 
it is a, we are in the days to come, God has, God has been preparing us. And we need to be quick to respond, quick to obey. And in some cases, quick to just stand, even though, based upon what, you know, I was saying a little while ago, that the Lord has shown me things well over 40 years ago. And there's things he said, have said to me in, the, in less than or 30 some odd years ago since we've been here, that they are standing orders. And no matter how much I would like God to change them on certain occasions, how many of you have been in a place when God spoke to you and you went, yes, and you're so excited about it. And in six months, a year, two years later, you're going, I wish you'd never said that. Why? Because the enemy comes to steal the word. And the flesh flows in that direction. That's why in Ephesians 6, Paul says, finally, and you know what it means when a preacher says finally? Nothing. <laughs> How many times did Marianne say, let me close? <laughs> per sermon. <laughs> finally, be strong. How? In the Lord, in the strength of his might. It all goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to the Father. His will, His way, His time. When you get, when we go through Ephesians 6 here, and we're going to read the whole thing in just a minute, uh, the whole passage, it, it is unmistakably military language. I mean, we go down to verse 13. Stand, or therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Are we living in evil days? Absolutely. And having done everything to stand firm. The language of holding the position in the face of an onslaught. You will face, you will face, all of us will face attempts to move us, to remove us, to push us back, to get us to compromise morally, compromise ethically, uh, Comprom compromise in our financial compromise. You know, it, you know, we we will we'll have every opportunity, and every you know the flesh will have every desire. And boy, I'm here to tell you, I don't know about your flesh. Well, actually, I do, but my flesh can preach a pretty good sermon to lead me away from what I know to be the will of God. One of the things that we have to understand is we don't write our own orders. We don't. And there is no entrepreneurialism or entrepreneurship in the kingdom. Because the, the advance, the changes, it, it, and uh, things of that nature are his purview. Veterans, those of us who are veterans, know the military controls everything. I mean, you know, when I was, it was such a shock. And that's what basic training is about, is to yank the slack out of a bunch of civilians and teach them, you know, you're in the army now, you're not behind the plow kind of thing. And, and, and I mean, they controlled everything. They controlled what time we went to bed. They controlled what time we got up. They controlled what we, what we ate, when we ate. They controlled our entire agenda for the day, how we would get there, how we would get back. They controlled everything, you know, what we would do while we were there. I mean, it's, it was just, you know, it's like every, there's always somebody following you around telling you what to do. And what, you know, as you gain rank, things get a little better, but there are still orders. I mean, and when, you know, you, you, you get orders, 
you're expected to do what the orders say. If it says report, you have a port call date at this point, you know, at JFK and you're flying out to Germany or San Francisco or Seattle and you're flying out to the Far East or wherever it is they're sending you, you're there. You show up. Everybody's know what I'm talking about. Paul has every bit of that in mind when he writes this. Now let's, let's, pass, let's read that entire passage. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, against the plans, against the wiles, against the program of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. If you want to know where they are, just turn on your television and watch the news as some politics. Well, anyway. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Man, that is the Roman soldier's basic combat kit. God never promises there won't be hard places. He never promised us there wouldn't be toil. He never promised us there wouldn't be battles. He never promised us there wouldn't be discomfort. This gospel that we have nowadays, you know, where just come to Jesus and he'll, you know, he'll give you your best life and everything's going to be wonderful. And it's just going to be, you know, um, somebody one time said, airy fairies pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. That is not realistic. When you become a Christian, you become a target. Because now you have been transformed by his spirit into the image of him who created the universe in a special way. I'm, all humanity is the image of God. I understand that. But once we're born again, we become a direct threat to darkness. And... I'll tell you one thing that I discovered with the hard way with the Lord, and that is that he never promised me things would be the way I want them to be. Amen. Um, it's not popular to pe preach stuff like that today. You know, it's popular to preach how that God will get you in the car you want, the house you want, the carpet you want, the drapes you want, the vacation you want, you know. Uh, that, you know, just stand up and speak to that hurricane pastor. Right. Even though you can, you know, see it right here in your own Bible. That's not the way. In fact, here's where we've been living for a while. Psalm 94, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, whom you train, O Yahweh, and whom you teach out of your law to why has he been training and teaching us to give us rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked? 
you think, you know, people talk about, you know, the Davos crowd and World Economic Forum and all the people behind the scenes pulling all the pulling all the strings and everything. I never thought I would live to, to see the day when a foreign leader would lecture our president and be right. When the president of Russia got up and said, they're even, who wants parent number one and parent number two instead of mom and dad? He said, that's unacceptable. They're even in the West and they're neoliberal. They're teaching their, 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 their small children that they, you know, about how they can change their gender identity and be this or that. He goes, this is absolutely unacceptable. And I'm thinking, preach it, brother. I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, man. You talk about the shoe being on the other foot. Our culture has, well, I'm gonna, I don't want to finish this. Okay. Blessed is the man whom you discipline. How many of you have been disciplined? Now, discipline doesn't necessarily mean spanked. It means you've been through some stuff to learn. You've been trained. That's what basic training. That's what AIT. That's what all those things are about. When I went in basic training the, in the army, it was learning how to march learning how to dress the way they wanted me to dress, learning how to, to talk the way they wanted me to talk, and how to blow up things and kill people in the name of the United States of America. Well, it, it's true. All right. But that's what armies do. And so, you know, I, I was being disciplined. I was being trained. Uh, my mom didn't even tell me this until years later, but my uncle buddy, who was actually my great uncle, he was really the closest thing to a real honest to goodness granddad that I had because he was my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's brother and born in 1898. And uh, he looked after me and my sister like we were, he had no grandchildren. His own one child had died of leukemia when she was uh, uh, young. And so, and they lived in Tulsa as we did and didn't live far from us. And so, I mean, he'd take us to school and everything. And I called him Uncle Buddy, but he was really the closest thing to a papa I ever had. I never knew that my Uncle Buddy was worried about me. Now, looking back, I would be worried about me. <laughs> because I was acting like a complete self, self-centered idiot. And, uh... My mom didn't tell me this until years later, but I joined the, by the time I joined the army, it was completely volunteer. There was no draft. Uh, I was the first year without it, but it, and they wouldn't have gotten me anyway. I think my draft number was like, you know, the lottery numbers. How many of you remember the draft lottery? Uh, I think my number was like 245 or something like that. So, you know, I was safe, et cetera. But I, I went in, I could tell my life was headed the wrong direction and I wanted a change of scenery and I wanted, and boy, did the United States Army provide me a change of scenery. We went from all kinds of colors to olive drab. Everything was OD green. But, and my mom didn't tell me this until much, much later. You know, I mean, I was probably well in my 30s by the time she told me this. But she said that when I came home after basic training on leave, I had a 14-day delay en route to my uh, advanced individual training. Then I went over and hung with uh, Uncle Buddy and my Aunt Adelaide for a while. And, you know, as part of being home and everything. And he told my mom, he said, we sent a boy 
off to Fort Leonard Wood and we got a man back. He saw the difference in me. Some people sometimes, you know, if I'm wearing a shirt that indicates my veteran status or my helmet, that my lid that I wore on the mo- my, my motorcycle, a guy pulls up and he sees army on it that my oldest son had bought me. And, and uh, he says, thank you for your service. And I appreciate people saying that. I don't expect them to, but I appreciate it. And I said, it was my pleasure. It made a man out of me. Well, God has been making, you know, what does Paul say over? I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, quit ye like men, act like men. In other words, be strong. And that includes you ladies. Be strong. And that's what the Lord's been teaching us to do. He's been teaching us to depend on him. He's been teaching us to believe him. He's been teaching us to stay put no matter what wind blows. We're not going to be moved. A lot of people have been blown away. But turn to your neighbor and say, hey, beautiful, I'm still here. <laughs> Amen. Keep reading. Until a pit is dug for the wicked, think not for a minute that the Lord does not see what the puppet masters are doing. And he is dealing with them. And it will intensify. For Yahweh will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. How many of you are the heritage of the Lord? Yeah, amen. For justice will return to the righteous and the upright in heart will follow it. Man, I could quit there. Would you? No, I could quit there and we would be blessed. But our culture has abandoned, our culture has abandoned responsibility for, for you know, being responsible for being entitled. When I see these people holding up these signs, forgive all my student debt, you're the one that borrowed it. I took care of my student debt the old fashioned way as Lee Iacocca once said, I paid it back. And I'm not saying it was smart for these people to do those things. And I'm not saying that they don't have themselves in a pickle and all that kind of stuff. But expecting everybody else to come along and take care of my obligations is not responsibility. It's entitlement. And we live in an entitlement culture. And I'm here to tell you, God knows how to change that. And guess who he's going to use to be lights in the middle of the swirling darkness? The whirlwind. Turn to your neighbor and say, you strong one. Hallelujah. But when we get in a jam, what do we do? Our flesh says, you know what? Let's just run away. Let's run away. I remember saying to Nana Goodwin, uh, Carmen Goodwin, uh, one of the, a true seer. The woman was a prophetess, a true seer. And I was just so discouraged. We'd been here a year, year and a half. We were meeting in, uh, over in the... the uh, Rented quarters that they, he called it a shopping center. It was just a strip thing there. And we were over there. Mark and Chris have been with us since day one. Now, I mean, we've got several people from the original Dirty Dozen still with us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and here we are preaching faith right across from Doubts Lake. That's what that little lake is down there. It's Doubts. Let's not spell it that way, but Doubts Lake. And, you know, I was just so discouraged because things were just going so slow. And, you, and you, do, do things ever go fast enough for your flesh? No. Heavens, no. And if you don't doubt it, you know, how many times have you driven past Culver's? Or 
Whataburger. Remember when Whataburger was over here? And they even had security people out directing traffic. And all, you know, and they're having to block off streets and all this kind of stuff because everybody's got to get over there and get a Whataburger. And now you can go over and go through pretty quickly because the news worn off. Right? How many times did I drive past Whataburger and go, even though I was hungry? Uh-uh. Why? Because the line is, you know, all the way to Arrowhead. What was it? Neil sent us a text. I was tested for patience today. I was negative. <laughs> I love it. So what do we do? We either, you know, I, I said to Nana, I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe, you know, a friend of mine had said, you know, here, here, there might be another good ministry opportunity for you. And I was, and she said, Kevin, that's the way she would talk. She was so cute. She was about that tall. By the time I was talking, she was in her late eighties. And she goes, Kevin, honey, if you got to stand your ground with the Lord, honey. You know, and I'm saying, yeah, I'm sitting there going, you know, this woman can rebuke you so well that you just want to say, hit me again. <laughs> she said, if you don't face that devil down right where you are. Now, she's from Texas, right? South Texas. Right where you are. By the time you go wherever you wind up going, by the time you pull up in front of your new church, that old devil going to be sitting there on the front porch picking his teeth. Now that's graphic. Waiting on you. Clearly she made an impression. Because that's been 35 years ago. And I remember I can close my eyes and see her face smiling so sweetly while she just kind of, you know. I don't even want to be inconvenienced. That's why I drive past the Whataburger. I don't want to wait. And so the devil stirs up the flesh and says, you don't really need to do this. You don't really need to do that. You don't really need to, you know, like this. And I begin to, you know, my flesh says, hey, you know, whoa, 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 what will it hurt? Famous last words. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through three says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is not just forgiveness. You've heard me say this times without number. If grace is a car, then forgiveness is a lug nut. It's, the t it's an important but tiny part of the whole thing. The grace of God is the power of God that comes on the scene, comes to us for God to supernaturally get done through us what we cannot do in ourselves. For by grace we are saved through faith. And that grace, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. He says, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, that implies you can be weak in grace. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to, what kind of men? Charismatic men. Charismatic women. Gifted men and women. women men and women who are natural born leaders. No, faithful men who will be able to teach other also. Then he says this, suffer hardship. Yeah. With me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Hmm. 
remember Aaron talking about his experience in Afghanistan, and I don't want to embarrass him, but how they go out beyond the wire. In other words, they're out on patrol and they're fighting and doing all the things that they do. And when he comes back in, they've been out a long time, sleeping outside, sleeping in holes, sleeping wherever they can, you know, cold. Cold in the, in, the, in the winter and hot in the summer, which is the perfect combination. Just the way God designed it. I remember him telling the story about how he got back in like this and he's, they're, they're going to do, you know, they're dropping their kit. They're getting, you know, their T.O.N.E. They're doing all this stuff like this. And he keeps going, what is that smell? And he said, I realized it was me. <laughs> how long had you been without a shower? A month? Four weeks? Four, What? Four months. That's commitment. <laughs> Four months without a shower. I don't... Well, nobody here like that today. <laughs> Endure hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Why is he saying that? Because Jesus is supposed to come along and smooth out all the bumps in my life. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And the time will come when they do not endure sound doctrine. Literally clean teaching in the Greek. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Just think about this. That wasn't even really possible in Paul's day. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have the blogosphere and all of that. They will accumulate, heap literally, to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, made up stuff. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Man, when God tells you something twice, you better know it's going to be on the test. Do the work of an evangelist. We're going to be doing more of that. And fulfill your ministry. Oh, I don't want to go to that church that tells me that I've got to endure hardship. I want to go to the one that tells me how much God loves me and how good it is and how he's just going to schmooze my way. Pastor, what on earth has this got to do with listening to God? Well, we don't just pick up our toys and go home when things don't go to suit us. We can get ourselves out of position and in trouble. Standing orders are just that. Whatever the Lord has shown you to do, you don't chart your own course. You stay with it until you know that you know that you know that you know he has shown you to do something else. I mean, I've always, you know, I, I hate to use a cultural movie reference, but Yoda one time pointed at Luke Skywalker and said, Never his mind on where he is, what he's doing. And that was me. Kind of still is at times. And I mean, the whole time I was in graduate school, I was like, I got to get out of this place. I made really good grades. I did. I finished with honors and all of that. And so it wasn't that I couldn't hack it. It wasn't that I couldn't do the work. It wasn't that. It was just, I was tired of going to school. I'd done four years of bachelor's work and I'm doing the, the master's work. Little did I know that God had another surprise called doctoral stuff. You 
My wife knew when he spoke to me because she heard a blood-curdling scream from the... No! And I just... I, I, I really... I really wanted to be somewhere else. I really wanted to be doing something else. I wanted to be out in the ministry. I wanted to be flying helicopters in the army. I wanted to do, it, get anything but this. But what is taking up your cross? And denying myself. Those of you listening by the web... Don't click me off. <laughs> Change the channel. I want that other preacher. You know the guy that smiles all the time and tells me how awesome things are. Standing orders are just that. You finish. It was weird because when I, this is no kidding. I mean, he opened door after door after door after door for me when I was in graduate school. He just proved time after time. Seminary, if you want to call it that, was it what it was. Time gave me favor with the dean, favor with the faculty, favor. I mean, it just, I, you know, it could not have gone any better. It could have gone smoother, but it couldn't have gone any better. And the, I, you know, I, I just really, 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 to show you how, how strange we are as people. Turn to your neighbor and say he's talking about you. I think. Um, I went when, when graduation came and we, uh, had the, you know, we, we went to the, we had the baccalaureate, we had the, you know, all that stuff. I went back up to school, to the LRC, the learning resources center. I had an office up there because I was a graduate fellow. I was a teaching fellow. Uh, I taught undergraduate students. And when I went back up there, I was going to get some stuff out of my office. We, we were, this was probably late April. We didn't move until June. But when I went back up there, the second, now I want you to listen to me. The second I foot, set foot on that campus, I knew I didn't belong. It was over. This phase was over. And it's nothing had changed. All the people were the same. Everything, my office was still in the same place. My desk was still there. All the stuff was on it. But when I walked in there, I knew right in here, I don't belong here anymore. Even if they were to offer me a permanent instructor position, I couldn't take it. Why? Because I don't belong here. I did, but now I don't. And if you don't have something that profound, don't run out the door. Whatever it is. I hate this job. Well, or don't be just chucking it because you feel like, I mean, I've had jobs that I went, I hate this job. But it put, you know, it put me in the position. You know, I've had jobs. I mean, you do what you have to do to keep body and soul together after my first summer in Graduate school, I took a job working for the for Tulsa County, Oklahoma, making next to nothing, but it was some money coming in. You know what I did? I would rabbit track. That's what I did. I rabbit tracked. We would go out to county roads that had recently been repaved or 
the center stripe had worn completely off. And me and two other guys would take out a string out there and we would measure it and we would measure the middle and they would place a little white dot in the middle of the road. That's a rabbit track. And then we'd go down a little further, another one. And then go down a little further, another one. Doing all that. And then later, if we were good, we got to ride on the big truck that would drive down through there and paint those things, putting the glass beads on it and everything. Well, what did you do when it was raining? We went and inventoried street signs. You talk about boring. We're going to drive over to this part of the county and see how many no parking signs there are on this street and how many stop signs and blah, 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 and recording their... And the fire department job opened up and I was free. I enjoyed working for the fire department. It was good. But once again, when I graduated, I went into the... I went into the emergency operations center and I knew I don't belong here anymore. God's moving me on. God's moving me on. He's the one who says, okay, here are your orders. How many of you are with me now? 1 Samuel chapter 22. Are you getting anything out of this? 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 3 through 5. David went from Mizpah of Moab. From there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do with me. And he left them with the king of Moab. Now remember, his grandmother, or I don't remember his grandmother or great-grandmother, was Ruth. And she was a Moabitess. And so he had Moabite. He was, you know, part Moabite. The king of Moab had stayed with him all the time David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Get out of here. Go down to the land of Judah. In other words, the prophet, David was staying out of Saul's reach. He was out of, you know, he was out of Saul's reach. And so Gad, the prophet, the seer came to him and said, your anointing, and I'm, I'm embellishing, I understand. You were anointed to be king when Samuel poured that flask of oil. The Spirit of God came on you. And he left Samuel. You are not right. You are now. Hear me. You are not sitting on the throne. You are not the in the position of monarch. But you have the call and the anointing for that. And so you need to get back to the land where you belong. God will take care of you. Yeah, it'd be easier to stay up here. You know, how many of you remember? He got so tired at one point. He even he got so discouraged. Yeah, David got so discouraged that he said, "You know what? One of these days, Saul's going to catch me and he's going to kill me." Well, that's impossible if what Samuel said was true. But after 12, 13, 15 years of running from Saul and one problem after another and one challenge after another, you got to know that it's like. Ah, But standing orders say, stand. But what did he do? He went down to the the Philistines. He went down to, and the the king of the Philistines gave him Ziklok, uh, a little town down there. And he was never in more danger 
in Judah running from Saul than he was from his own men in Ziklag because the Amalekites came and made a raid on the town, burned the thing to the ground, took all of the goods and all of the women and the children with them. And when David and his men came back, they wept until they had the strength to weep no more. And then they started talking about stoning David. Now you got to remember, these are not... David's mighty men were everybody who's in debt, everybody who's bitter of soul, everybody who's on the lamb from the law. So these are not exactly what you would call your sterling societal standouts. And so turning on a leader like that would be very in character for them. And the Lord, and so what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And you're going to have to do that. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not, whether you feel like you can or not, the day will come, if it hasn't already, that you're going to have to stand and look at yourself in the mirror or some other way and say, rise up, man of God, rise up, woman of God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You cannot be defeated. Now, get up and do the will of God. Well, I did the will of God yesterday. Well, do it. Well, I've been doing it for 18 years. Keep doing it. Stay with it. What, what, what is your ministry? Oh, I make little ones out of big ones. I'm out here on the rock pile. First Kings 19. Elisha on Carmel had called fire down from heaven. And it consumed there were 450 prophets of Baal, 400 of the Asher, the other way around. And he had them all slain. He said, don't let them get away. And within a day or two, word got to uh, Jezebel what he had done. And she threatened him and said, uh, you know, may God, the gods do so to me. And even more so if by this time you are not like one of them. He, I'm going to take. Well, first of all, she had the ability to do that. She had already done it. And second of all, if you can call fire down from heaven, you don't need to worry about some scrawny little woman. But it frightened him and he took off and he not only left town, he left the country. He went all the way from Israel, the northern kingdom, all the way down across Judah, all the way into Beersheba. Beersheba. And when God came to him in Beersheba, this is what God said. 1 Kings 19.9. And he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him and uh, came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah. We know the answer. They've torn down thine altars. They've killed thy prophets and I alone have left. Just kill me. I'm not making fun of Elijah because I have felt the same way. The enemy well, you know, I, I love it. I love the way he says that because he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's like he uses his name to punctuate it. Our flesh can give us 3,000 legitimate reasons. Reasons everybody with which everybody around us might agree to not do the will of God. To not do what we know God has called us to do. To not give what we've been called to give. To not say what we've been called to say. How many of you with me? Whether it's in our work. Whether it's in our marriage. It's our church. You name it. When we are called to stand. 
Obey the word. And do what God has said for you to do. And believe he will bring it to pass, even if it was decades ago. What if Abraham would have said 24 years in, bad deal, see ya, I'm going back to, to uh, Damascus. I'm going back to Aram. We don't lead ourselves. We don't write our own orders. I'm getting scared because that was my first point. <laughs> Out of seven. <laughs> Matthew chapter 20. I love this story. Well, I'll, I'll condense. <laughs> I'll condense. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire the laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, everybody say a denarius per day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, which would be not nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said, you two go into the vineyard and I'll give you and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went. And going out about noon, and then again at three, he did the same. And then at about five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing. And he said, well, why are you been standing around idle all day? And they said, well, nobody hired us. And he said, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them each their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about five in the afternoon came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Upon what were they basing that? They were basing that on, you know, probably some federal thing somewhere. All right. And, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, well, these work, the last ones only worked an hour and, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And yeah, I mean, the Scirocco would come through in the afternoon, a very hot wind, desiccating, you know, like this, and you're, they're sweating and drinking and sweating and working and all that. But he replied to one of them. Now, when it says he replied to one of them, I have a feeling he probably replied to the ringleader. Because stuff like that always has somebody who's kind of stirring things up. And he says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you, and if it had been me, I said, or did you not? Agree with me for a denarius. Here, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Get the same wage. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Not in 20th century America, but back then, yes. Okay? Or do you begrudge my generosity? We think we know how it should go down, but only God knows that. They thought they would receive more. Wouldn't a greater paycheck just stand to reason? And they all took hold of their single denarius and grumbled. Well, remember here that the landowner actually represents God in Jesus' parable. And these are his servants. Dare we say his sheep. 
And they're not only following him, they're grumbling against him. I wish I could say that I'd never grumbled against God. But I have. I've had many opportunities to grumble against God and I've taken advantage of a significant number of them. Did it get me anywhere with God? No. Did it help me? No. Did the enemy sit around and revel in it? No. When you're whining like that, even he doesn't want to stay around and listen to it. Is that rebellion, pastor? Well, I'll ask you what you think. Incipient, perhaps. Take what is yours and go your way. The others had received theirs, but the guy wasn't accepting. No, that, that's not enough. This is yours. Take it and go. Everybody else had. Amen. What was their guiding principle? The evil eye. We know from, you know, from Proverbs, you know, an evil eye hastens after wealth. They thought, they thought, you know, um, that's verse 9 again. Now those hired first came and they thought our thinking must be in line with the scripture. Our thinking must be, and, and we've got to trust that if payday doesn't come today, it will come. There's a lot of seed I've sown into the kingdom for which I cannot say for a certainty that, I have re that I've received the, the crop off of it. But I do know this, I will. And God knows exactly the right time to do it. I've heard people tell stories about how that they sowed a crop when they were in their 20s and they, they sowed the seed when they were in their 20s. And then when they were in their 50s, God did something for them and said, had you not done this back then, I couldn't have done this for you today. Are we willing to wait? Are we willing to trust? Are we willing to keep going when we thought? I love to tell the story about how at jump school. In the army, they love to do this. They're going to take off on a five-mile run. You do your little airborne shuffle, and Sergeant Airborne says, "We're going five miles." Blah 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 blah. Well, you're used to that. So anyway, here you go, running that track around those three towers they don't use anymore. And uh, you're going, you're going, you're dying. Your lungs are burning, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, back in my day, they ran in combat boots, not in tennis shoes, and you know, you get, there it is. There's the end. Five miles. How oh, I lived through it. And just as you get to the end, Sergeant Airborne goes, keep going. Keep going. But you said five miles. And people fall out. And you're allowed to fall out once, but you're not allowed to fall out twice. Then you bust out of, you bust out of jump school. And so people are falling out. Why? You promised. This is the military. You don't believe NCOs. They'll, they'll tell you whatever they're supposed to tell you. How many of you will be here? I warned my sons about that. And they both came back and said, yeah, they did that. Okay. They're just testing to see who'll quit. They don't run that much further. How much further do they run for you? Not much. Yeah. They, they don't run much further. But they want to see who quit when things don't go the way they thought they were going to go. 
God is preparing a people who will not flinch at hardship, not flinch at discomfort, who will not break and run when things don't go to soothe them, who won't freak out and give up when the faith fight really gets intense. Daniel 11 and 32, this is talking about the Antichrist. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and do exploits. Take action. Everybody say, that's me. Hallelujah. If our musicians will come, we'll go ahead and bring this in for a landing. I want to go back to Ephesians 6. 10. Finally. And what does it mean when the preacher says finally? <laughs> finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. God has been preparing a people who will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. They will ignore what the enemy is doing. They will override their feelings. Amen. They will not allow the circumstances, they will not allow their flesh, they will not allow negativity, they will not allow CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, CNBC, MSNBC to talk them out of it. Amen. People who won't even blink at sacrifice and be quick to obey Him. Quick because they don't just hear God, they listen. What do we say about our children when they hurt us, but they didn't do it? You're not listening to me. It's a very different thing to listen than to just hear. What do we do? We stay, we, we don't break ranks. We stay, we don't bolt right or left. We don't run. When uh, the people of, when, when uh, the army moved in and the last, Moses' last battle as commander was against Moab. And remember, Moab was, the king of Moab was the one who hired Balaam to come and to curse the people of God. It says that Balaam died in that, in that sweep too. And they tempted them with sexual sin and perverse gods. Moses sent approximately 2% of his army against them. It was an inferior force. But it was a great victory. And it, the great spoil was taken. But here's the thing I want you to see. It says in Numbers 31, and I didn't actually put it for you. Numbers 31, 48 and 49. Well, wait a minute. Maybe I did. Yeah. Wrong side of the sheet. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army and the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds approached Moses. And they said to Moses... Your servants have taken a census of the men of war who are in our charge. And no man of us is missing. They didn't lose a single individual in the war. You know, if you go into the war knowing that it's just like Paul out there on that ship in Acts chapter 27. And everybody was fasting and fearful. What did it say? Uh, since, you know, neither sun nor moon nor stars had been seen for many days and no small storm was assailing us. Gradually, all, I mean, all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. But Paul never gave up hope. And remember, hope is confidence. 
He knew he had to make it through because Jesus had told him, you will stand before Caesar. You must stand before Caesar. The things that God has shown you, the things that God has spoken to you, either through his word or with, with the rhema, he has pledged himself to you to get those things done. But all it requires of us is that we be faithful, not, and not perfect. Everybody say, thank God. Not perfect, but just faithful. And he'll get it done. But I wanted it to get done before I turned 70. So I could have some time to enjoy it. Dude, you're going to have all eternity to enjoy his blessing. And I, what, what does it gain? What does it profit somebody who goes and does their own thing, makes a fortune, they join the 1% or whatever, and then stand before God and hear, what were you thinking? And we will all stand, saved and unsaved. We will all stand before the Lord. And I want to hear, good job. When Joe McGee was here, he did a little thing where, you know how, you know, all of our works are piled up. First Corinthians 3, all our works are piled up and then the fire falls and the works are tested. And what are our works? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Well, wood, hay, and straw are not going to survive the test. They're going to poof. They're going to be burned up. And thank God for it. Because I don't want to be rewarded for that. I won't receive my reward until after the fire has tested them. And whatever is left, that is my reward. And I don't want the works of the flesh to be rewarded. That's not cool. And what he said was, he said, then the fire falls and you pick up your reward and stick it in your pocket and go on into eternity. I don't want to be that guy. I want it to be I want there to be so much left that angels driving these long dump trucks are picking it up. That they're going beep, 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 backing it up to the thing. They even have to have a, 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 a track hole to pick stuff up and load me up. That's what I want. You might say, well, isn't that kind of greedy? Moses was looking toward the reward. He was, he was believing God for it. Oh, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, hey, listen, if I can't be a rich man down there, how about being a rich man up there? Yeah. Hallelujah. Down here, our money is failing rapidly. Yeah. Up there, it never does because we don't even need it. I mean, God paves the, heaven with, the streets of heaven with what? Pure, transparent gold, the purest there is. But we stand. We don't write our own orders. Whatever it is in here. We do it. Whatever it is in here, we do it. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. This is boring. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. Is God ever going to move? We keep doing it. And we keep doing it. You got to be, really? I mean, how long has it been? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, today is the day. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I realize the chance of a non-believer watching this particular webcast is probably pretty small, but on the chance that there, that there is someone, I want to encourage you to make Jesus Lord of your life and right now. Do it now. Pray from your heart to God. Say, Father God, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth 
that Jesus Christ is your son and that you have raised him from the dead. And then you say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Lord, I turn away from my old life. I repent. I ask you, Lord, to be my my King and my Lord. Scripture says he will not cast you. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how awful it was. He will not turn you away. And Christian, if you've been right in your own orders, if you've been pretty much sailing your own course, I encourage you, get in the word, get into fellowship, get into a church, roll up your sleeves, go to work. Because as that old adage used to be that when all of life is done and passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And it is so true. God has a plan for your life and it's a good one. And it may not be the easiest thing you've ever done, but I promise you it will be the most productive both now and in eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, ICCFamily, all one word, .org, ICCFamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.